Come on, somebody. More than Relentless Church. Wow. Man, I told, um, it's the second time in like less than an hour, I told the, the worship team back in the green room, y'all got to like, by the time we get through gyro, I'm ready to explode. <laughs> I got to like pace myself, but man, um, yeah, God is already, he's already moving. He's doing something. And so uh, for those I haven't, I had the pleasure of meeting. My name is Raf. I'm the associate pastor here at Relentless Church. And I'm uh, just blessed, excited, honored to be here with you all this, this morning, share a little bit about uh, what God's put on my heart. Um, I do want you to know this, uh, in case you, you haven't been here the past couple weeks, really the whole month of January, we've, uh, we've been talking about what it looks like for us to step in as a church to becoming a praying church. We've always, we've always prayed, but, but I, we just feel like God's uh, called us to be a little bit more intentional and to really uh, um, kind of just go all in on becoming a praying church. And so we've been talking about what that looks like the last, the last few weeks. And I just want y'all to know, because I, I, I'm blessed enough to have a, I get, I get a front row seat to the behind the scenes action and the things that are happening that sometimes you guys don't get to get to see if we don't, if we don't tell you all about it. And so even this morning, uh, when we're coming in here and getting ready for service, I mean, there was, there's people walking through this room, praying over every seat. Every one of you who's walked in these doors today has been prayed for before you even, before you even arrived today. I felt, man, I, I mean, my prayers that you guys get to feel this too, if you haven't already, but even in the last few weeks, I felt the shift. I feel the wind God's wind at my, my back when just knowing the, the people who are intentionally praying for me all week long, I feel the difference. It's God's moving. He's, he's doing something, and, I, and I'm excited about that. Um, I've been thinking about that, you know, in uh, prayers of intercession, right? Praying to intercede means to, to intervene on behalf of other people. There are people intervening with God on my behalf right now, and on yours, I want you to, I want you to know that. You know, when I think about intercession, my mind doesn't always necessarily go to prayer. I think about uh, my house, actually, and my family. Uh, my wife is the one who intercedes uh, on behalf of the kids with me all the time, okay? We've got, we've got kind of different roles, and we play off each other, and it works pretty good when we, when, when we communicate and we work like a team, but she is the intercessor. She's the uh, you know, full of compassion and grace, and it's always like, well, what if they, right? I'm the, I'm the enforcer, right? <laughs> if I, here, I'll put it this way. I'll tell you a story. Uh, right after Christmas, uh, for Christmas, my kids got this uh, game. It's like a family kind of board game type of thing. I forget the name of it, but basically it's like um, the whole, you, you pull cards and you read them, and the family or the people in, in the room have to uh, come up with answers, and then, so it's like a card based on you. So it's to see like how well you know each other or what you think they're going to say about you and see if they line up, that type of thing. And so I, I pull my card, and it says uh, something, that, that, something that I'm the best at, something I'm really, I'm really good at, right? So I'm thinking in my mind, okay, what are they going to say? Like, I got a few things, you know? Oh, you know, I like to cook. I like, you know, I got a couple things, but, you know, trying to be modest, and, and, and it's like quiet for like, Five seconds, and then my oldest, Nariah, goes, punishing kids. <laughs> All right. Daddy's the best at punishing kids. You know what? I own it. I own it. That's my role, okay? And I do it well. <laughs> so, so my wife is, is the intercessor, right? And, and again, we, we kind of need each other in that. Most recently, she's been interceding on behalf of my son, RJ, because um, I'll be honest, he's become a little bit of a mama's boy, and she's, she's always kind of, you know, protecting him and shielding him, but uh, I think I've shared this before, man. He has this, this, um, this bad habit of coming into my room at the most ungodly hours of the night or the morning and waking me up, and, and again, I've said this before, my solution to that was I'm going to start locking my bedroom door so that he can't do that anymore. We tuck him in, we give him his you know, pray with him. I give him his water, everything he's going to need for the night. And then it's like, if I see you before I wake up naturally on my own in the morning, you're going to be in trouble. Okay. And so I go in my bedroom and I lock the door. 
And, and, and it's like clockwork, man. I'll, at least two, three times a week, I hear the, the creaking of my bedroom door, which is on me. I need WD-40. I got to spray that thing. I keep forgetting. But if that doesn't wake me up by somehow, then I hear like the, him trying to be quiet, but he's not. You know what I mean? And if by some miracle of God, I can sleep through that, then he's hovering over my wife's face. Mom, mom, mommy, mom. I'm like, get out, <laughs> get out of my room, right? And she's like, it's not his fault. I unlocked the door for him. I unlocked the door. I'm like, come on. She's always interceding on his behalf. And, and I joke around a little bit. I'm having fun with that. But, but again, I just, God's brought me to that, that, that concept, that idea of just interceding. And, and um, he pointed me this week as I was preparing for this message for, uh, to, to um, what I think is one of the great intercessory prayers in all of scripture. Okay, it's, it's in uh, Exodus chapter 33. And I want to I wanna teach it to you all today. I want us to kind of go through it today. And my prayer, my hope is that we would, uh, we would step into this, that we would learn this prayer. Not the, not the words that Moses prays to God. Um, we don't want to recite that. We want to we wanna step into um, the heart behind it and the, and the motive and just where it comes from. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm praying. I really do believe it could revolutionize the way you pray. I think, I think it will breathe new life into your relationship with God. And so that's, that's where we're going today. Again, it's Exodus 33. Um, I, I need to give you a little bit of context before we jump into that. So in Exodus 32, uh, this is where uh, the Israelites um, create a God's people. They create a, a, an idol they, out of jewelry. They melt down their, their gold and they form a calf, a bull or some cow of some sorts, and they begin to, to worship it. Okay. And so um, again, uh, just some history. Okay. The, uh, God uh, calls Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Okay. God delivers them. He sends a bunch of plagues. He, 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 he gets them out of Egypt, saves them from, from that. Um, and then they come to like the, the Red Sea. And, and that's when God splits the, the Red Sea so that the Israelites can, can pass through. And then, and then this, the water comes in on the Egyptian army and destroys them. And so God is, from that moment on, the, the, the uh, Israelites, enter into the wilderness and they're on their way to the promised land, okay? And throughout that entire journey, God has been showing up. He's leading them. He's guiding them. He's present with them. He's providing for them. They're hungry. He sends bread from the sky. They were thirsty. He brings water from a rock, okay? He's, he's protecting them. He's delivering them this entire way, right? Fast forward to, to Exodus chapter 32, and Moses goes up to uh, the top of Mount Sinai to commune with God. He's, he's God's representative for the people. And so he goes up to commune with God, to, to receive from God, and then come back down and, and, and tell the people what God says. While he's gone, he must have been gone too long or longer than they expected or wanted him to be. They start freaking out. They start losing their minds. God must have forsaken us. Moses is dead. We need, to, we need to find another God. That's, that's when they, build, they, they, they do the golden calf and they start worshiping it, okay? Meanwhile, God's up there with Moses. You better, you see what your people are up to down there, Moses? You better get down there, man. They're, they're, they're messing up. Matter of fact, that's a nice way. God, what God really said was, I'm going to have to destroy them and start over with you, Moses, okay? And so he, he, Moses immediately begins to intercede on behalf of the people. On behalf of the Israelites, God, they're your people. God, you, you, this is, you made a promise, God, to, to, to our descendants. You're right, Abraham, Jacob. He starts like going back to God's word and the promises he made, and he's saying, you love them. They're your people. He intercedes on the people's behalf, and, 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 and sure enough, God relents, okay? Um, and, and not only does he not destroy the Israelites and start over with Moses, but he says he's going he's gonna to send his angel ahead of them to lead them into the promised land, okay? And that's kind of where we're going to pick up, Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. 
I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. So after the, the sin of the golden calf, God does not deny the children of Israel the promised land. He says, y'all can go ahead. You, you can continue to, to possess it. I will deliver you. I will bring you there. Um, and, and just as I promised, Abraham, Isaac, all your descendants, okay? But because of their faithlessness, God says, I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. I'll send my angel ahead of you to protect you, okay? He doesn't deny the Israelites the promised land because he is faithful, even though they were unfaithful, okay? But he does say he's going to deny them his presence. In other words, God says, I'm, I'm going to deliver on my promise. The land is, is yours. You will have my protection, but you will not have me close to you anymore, okay? You, I, I can't be close to you anymore. Um, I read that, and, and again, it's sometimes you inject your own life and scenarios and things into scripture, and that can be dangerous, but don't hear me saying this is what God is saying, but this is, this is where my mind goes when I was studying that this week is, uh, you know, I, again, I, I'll keep picking on my, my son RJ uh, for today, but we've, uh, we've been button heads a little bit recently, and, and uh, he's had an issue with, um, with uh, telling the truth or the complete truth, you know? And, and, and so we've been talking about how important it is to, to, to be honest and not to lie. I caught him in a couple of lies this week. And, and when I called him out, when I caught him, obviously he got real emotional and sad. And I couldn't tell if he was upset because he was in trouble or because he knew he did something wrong. And we sit down and we have a good, honest talk. And, and I'm just like, buddy, you got to understand, man, our relationship is built on trust. And every time you lie to me, man, you break that trust. And that causes distance between us. And, and, and I could tell he looked a little confused. He didn't quite know what I was talking about. So I was like, all right, let's use an illustration, right? I'm a pastor. <laughs> let's do an object lesson. So I'm like, every time you lie to me, buddy, like I can see in your face, you're crying. You want me to hold you. You're, you're upset. You want a hug, right? But you lied to me, and that caused distance between us. And so like, I, I made him take two steps back, and I took a step back. It's like, now there's like, this thing between us, right? And, and, every, and then every time you lie, it gets further and further and further. Now I'm on one side of the room and he's on the other side of the room. <laughs> he's like, I can see the tears blowing up. I'm like, all right, come back, come back. That's too, this lesson was too much for him. So I pull him in. I'm like, give him a hug. I'm like, I love you, buddy. And I forgive you. Okay. But I need you to understand that over time, that's what happens. This close, as much as you want to be close, because that trust is broken, we can't be close. And so I need you to understand how important it is. You can't ever lie to, to mommy and daddy, right? I don't know that that's exactly what God is saying, but when he just says, man, my, I'm, I'm going to protect y'all because I made a promise, but my presence will not be with you anymore. We can't be close like we used to. Okay, this was a challenge from God. I mean, yeah, from God to Moses and to the Israelites. The wilderness, um, this whole exodus, the whole wilderness wandering experience to this point had revealed the true character, both of God and the Israelites. Okay, God is faithful. They were faithless. They were faithless. And so God tells them they could still have the promised land, but he would not remain with them in the same close personal way. And if, if they were okay with that, if they were satisfied with that arrangement, then it would prove that they only love God for his blessings, for the things that he can do for them, but not God himself. But if they challenged God, if they pleaded with him for his presence to remain and not just his blessings, then it would show they had a genuine heart for God himself. Verse 4. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. Ornaments are jewelry. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. 
But God says, You're, you are a stiff-necked people. The picture there is of a, like a stubborn mule or a donkey that, that just won't be led, just stiffens up the neck and refuses to go wherever the, the farmer's trying to take it. God says, this is, this is you, the people of Israelites. You are a stiff-necked people. You stubbornly refuse and allow me to lead you, okay, and, 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 and obey me. Now, when he says, if I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. We gotta, I can't just leave that hanging out there. We've got to address that, right? Um, God is a holy God. He, and because he's holy, he cannot be in the presence of sin. It, just, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It's, it's impossible for him. And so the way, that, the way that they addressed that in the Old Testament was a sacrificial system. When, when the people sinned and, and became unholy, they would sacrifice a, an animal, a lamb, an ox, a ram, whatever it is, uh, and, and atone for their sins. But that was a temporary atonement. Every time they sinned, they'd have to go back and do that, okay? That's how it was until Jesus came and became the ultimate sacrifice. God's perfect lamb died for all of our sins, past, present, and, and future, okay? And so um, just as an aside, I just want to make sure we're, we're on the same page with that. But, but we can see here um, this removal of ornaments, the people taking off their jewelry, okay, uh, was a sign of repentance and contrition. I would have, if it's me, I'm like, I'm going to take this stuff off. Like last time God saw this, it was in the shape of a calf and it made him really mad. Like I ain't wearing this anymore, you know? So they take it off, but they, they, they are truly repenting. Um, the Israelites mourn the potential loss of God's presence, his close personal presence, showing they do in fact care about their relationship with God and not just what he can do for them. Continuing on verse seven. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. So, so after Israel's heart had been turned back towards God and after they humbled themselves by removing their, their, their jewelry, Moses took the next step towards revival and, and restored relationship with, with God, okay? And he, he initiated a determined effort to seek the face of God, okay? Uh, making his own tent the, the tabernacle of meeting, they called it. The, the tent of meeting, uh, some, some um, translations call it the tabernacle of meeting. Now, God had given Moses, actually earlier on in, in Exodus 25, he had given him instructions to build an actual tabernacle. Tabernacle is like a, a temple, right? A place uh, uh, where God will reside so that the people can come and be in his presence, okay? Um, they just hadn't got to it yet. It was very extensive and, and, and it was a big, big thing. And, and Moses here is saying, look, I, can't, I ain't gonna wait for that. Let's just use my tent, <laughs> Let's just use my tent because we need God right now. We need his presence. We need a place to go and commune with him, okay? Moses saw God immediately. He saw God relentlessly. He, he, he saw God genuinely. And when he did that, God moved in the people's hearts. I want you to see that in verse 8. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to their tent. Okay, the, the, the pillar of cloud is uh, symbolic. It was a visual representation of the presence of God. Okay, the, the real presence of God. And so the people watched and noticed when, when Moses worshiped and, and when Moses worshiped, they also worshiped. Okay, in other words, Moses prompted the people to draw close to God by his own example, by, by his relationship with God. There's something about Moses and his relationship to God that made others want to worship God. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful picture. As I read that, God just kind of, man, really just impressed it on my heart. Man, pray that prayer. <laughs> 
that, that you would, as a man who leads other people spiritually, like we are, I want to be very clear, and, and I love Pastor David Tart, he said this many times as well, we don't have special access to God. Uh, you need to know that, right? That's one of the things that Jesus uh, acquired for us. And so I'm in no better position than you to, to seek the face of God. You have the same standing we all do that Jesus bought for us, okay? But scripture does say I have a responsibility as one who leads in the church, okay, to, to live in such a way that, that would not turn people away from God or would not contradict God, right? And so, man, for me, it's like I want to, that's my prayer. <laughs> Lord, let me live a life like this, live a life like this. That people would see how I worship you, that people would see how I live, how I, how I, how I raise my kids, how I treat my family, how I treat other people, that people would look and, and, and not say, oh, he's so good, but say, wow, God is good. I want to worship him too. That's my prayer. Man, Moses is leading by example in this. Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Speaks to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses had not and could not see the actual face of God. God addresses that later on in this, in this chapter. He says, you can't see my literal face because if you do, it would be too much for you. You can't handle that, okay? So, so what this is, this phrase face-to-face is a figurative expression. It, it simply means um, free and open fellowship. He had free and open fellowship with God. The point is God spoke to Moses differently than he had spoken to any, any of the other prophets to this point. Okay, up to, up to this point, God spoke to prophets. Um, they heard in visions and dreams. Moses hears clearly and, 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 and plainly from God. He's, he's having a conversation with God. He's having a real-life conversation with God. Moses met with God face-to-face. He's, he literally speaks to God like he's a friend, like he's one of his friends. And I, I came to tell you all, that's prayer. This is prayer. Right? If you, if you read Exit, there's no point there where it says Moses prayed X, Y, Z. No, he's just talking to God, and that is prayer. He's having a conversation with his friend. That's the type of relationship that they have. Moses has a personal relationship with God, a relationship that has enabled him thus far to persuade God to relent from his threat to exterminate the entire population of Israelites a relationship that has resulted in God's commitment to bring Israel into the promised land despite their repeated sin and unfaithfulness. A relationship that has minimized the remoteness of God to the point that God is now manifesting himself just outside the camp in a tent. God clearly loves and listens to Moses. God clearly loves and listens to his servant Moses. And I need you all to understand that's a big deal. That's a big deal because, again, this is prayer. This is the type of relationship that Moses had with God that he's modeling for his people, that he, that he models for us. Here's what I love most about Moses here. He's not done. He's, he's not done yet. That's not enough for him to have his own personal relationship with God. Moses will not be content until God is intimately present, both in his own personal life and in the lives of the people who God has called him to lead. We see that. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Moses isn't messing around here. He's not not holding back. He's not mincing words, okay? 
This is borderline, I mean, it's a bold prayer. It's a bold way of talking to God, right? It's borderline rude the way he's approaching God. He's clearly determined to have God's presence with Israel as close as possible, okay? It wasn't just enough to Moses to know that, that he and the Israelites would make it to the promised land. Why? Because Moses understood there's nothing special about the promised land without the special presence of the Lord. God said, I'm going to deliver on my promise. Y'all can have the promised land. Moses was like, no, that ain't good enough. I don't want the promised land if I can't have you. I've been um, in, a, in a season, you know, I think so I love lots of people who've been on stage these past few weeks. We, we, we've, there's a common theme of um, how much we're digging into prayer and, and, and how hard life has been. And I, I know I'm not the only one who can say, man, last year has probably the, the, been the hardest year of my life, right? I know we're not alone in that. And, and I know God, he knows that and he hears that and he feels that and he's moving. I believe that. But man, I, I think I was drawn to this uh, passage of scripture because in my own life, I feel like I've been in a wilderness season, just a wilderness season, just praying for breakthrough, <laughs> praying, God, just breakthrough, right? Get me. I just want to get to the other side of this. God praying that for what feels like almost a year now. Okay. And, 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 and I just feel like the past few weeks or so, God's, God's met me in those prayers, man. And, and, um, just revealed some stuff to me about my own heart. This idea that like, man, <laughs> I, you, look, God is a God of breakthrough. We sing about it. We believe it. We've, we, I, we've seen it. I've got some personal testimony. I know some of y'all do too. We see it all through scripture. That God is a God of miracles. He is a way maker, right? But we also need to understand that each and every time he does that, when he heals someone, when he, when he makes a way, when he, when he breaks through whatever situation, that it, he does it in an effort to point us back to him that ultimately it's about him and our relationship with him. And if I'm honest, I was in a season where I, I think because I felt like I've been in the wilderness so long, all I care about was the breakthrough. I'm praying for the breakthrough. My focus is on the breakthrough. And, and if I'm not careful, what God's pointing to me is you look just like these Israelites in the wilderness. You're praying from miracle to miracle. God, I'm starving. I'm so hungry. Why have you forsaken me? Here's some bread. God, I'm thirsty. Why didn't you give me? Here's some water. God, and we're just like miracle to miracle to miracle. But in between, man, God was there the whole time. And he's saying, look, I understand you're in the wilderness. You need to understand the promised land, okay? It's not just a... a, a a geographic area. The promised land for us, for believers in Jesus Christ, ultimately is going to be when we go back home to heaven and there is no more wilderness. There is no more pain or suffering or whatever, everything else that, that we go through that we bring to God. So in between here and there, what we get is the presence of God to see us through. And that is enough. That is enough. And so that's what he's been teaching me. And, and, and I see it here in these, in these um, in the people of God and the Israelites, and I see it in my own life and my own heart. And, and um, I just, I love Moses, man. He, he says, you said you know my name and that I found favor with you. He's reminding God of his standing. He's like, God, you chose me. You called me. You, you anointed me. You said I am blessed and highly favored. You know my name, God. You said those things to me. And so it's because of his standing with God, which is based on God's word, and because of his relationship with God, that Moses can approach God so boldly. He says, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Again, based on your grace, God, and my standing according to your grace, I want to know you more 
(laughs) I want to know more of you, God. Moses is seeking to know God even more intimately than he already knew him. He desires to know God's character as reflected in his way of doing things. Okay, to understand God, to know God, is, 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 to know his ways is to know God the way that he knows you. Okay, and to better understand how to live in a way that pleases him. This is what Moses is, is asking for. <laughs> in other words, Moses is like, you can keep the milk and honey, Lord. I want you. I want you. You can keep the promised land. I don't want it if I can't have you. I want the one who makes the promise. And then he continues, remember, this nation is your people. This nation is your people, God. Moses is petitioning God to consider the Israelites as his people again. Because ever since the Israelites chose to worship the golden calf rather than God, God started referring to them. You can go back and look in the narrative of scripture. It flips to your people, Moses. Exodus 32, 7, he's like, uh, then the Lord said to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Your people, Moses. It made me think of my, my kids again, right? My son starts acting a fool, just totally brand new. Like, what is going on? I look at my wife like, well, get your son. What's your, what is your son? That's not, he didn't get that from me. That's got to be from your side, right? What is your son doing? Moses, I mean, Jesus like, Moses, you better get your people. Get your people. Moses wants to reverse this. Moses is trying to turn this around. No, God. (laughs) Remember, they're your people. They're your people. You made this promise to our ancestors. They're your chosen people, and you do love them. Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God says, yes, yes. He assured Moses that he would be personally present with him as he led the Israelites uh, into the promised land. It says, my presence will go with you. Literally, what that, what that translates to is my face will go with you, which, which, again, helps us understand what it means when it says Moses met with God face to face, okay? It's a sense of the immediate presence of God. My immediate presence will go with you. I will give you rest. Almost always in the Bible when we see rest, it conveys a concept of, of um putting an end to, to evil or an enemy or hostility or maybe overcoming adversity. And so when God promises rest to Moses, he's assuring him that those things which Moses must have feared the most would in fact be overcome and that the task that, that God had given to him to do will be completed. The presence of God means rest and peace in life, which no doubt would have been a great encouragement to Moses. Okay, so let's see how he receives it. Verse 15. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Did I miss something? Seems like God said yes, and Moses is acting like he said no, right? God said, yes, Moses. God had just promised his presence, and Moses responds by warning or or cautioning God of the consequences of not keeping his promise. So so what's the deal with that? Here's the deal. God's assurance of his presence and of rest were specified only for Moses and not for the entire nation of Israel. Okay, God, God, when when he says in in, in verse 14, uh, my presence will go with you, with you is, was actually supplied by the, the translators, and so it's unclear whether that you is singular or plural. But the next time he says it, when, when he says, um, 
I will give you rest, it's singular, okay? Which, which means um, God, the assurance of God's presence and, and, and of rest is only guaranteed for Moses and not the nation of Israel as a whole. And, and Moses comes back to God and basically says, that's not good enough. That's not good enough, God. I don't want it just for me. I need it for my people too. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, that, that's not enough. I need it for the nation. I need your assurance for all your people, God. How will anyone else know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the others on the face of the earth? See how Moses links himself twice with the people? Me and your people. Me and your people. He's not willing to enjoy the favor of God alone while Israel's destiny hangs in the balance. And so he pleads with God. He intercedes on their behalf. Your presence must not only be with me, but also with them. Moses understood there was nothing that God could give them that would make the nation of Israel truly different from, from any of the other people of the world. Only God's presence can do that. Only his presence can do that. So it separates us. And so this time, God does in fact assure Moses of his presence, both for himself and for, for Israel. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. God honors the bold intercession of Moses and he promises to restore his relationship with Israel. And notice that while God grants Moses' request, it's only due to his standing with God, right? Not due to any good on the part of Israel. In other words, Israel's future is totally dependent upon Moses on his standing with God, and on his willingness to intercede on their behalf. Again, I sat with that for a little bit and just felt like God was pressing into my heart. Um, and again, I'm in no way not trying to, like, you guys are with me, you know me. <laughs> but just this idea, again, that there may be people who, whose future depends on my standing with God and my willingness to, to intercede on their behalf. Now, in the grand scheme of things, right, Moses is a precursor to Jesus who ultimately is going to come and be the one who stands in the gap for all of us, right? And we know that, and we believe that. We step into that. We receive that. You put your trust and your face in that. You have the same access he has to God, okay? But as the people of God, as people who are committed to becoming a praying church, I look at Moses standing in the gap for others who don't deserve it, who maybe don't even know that they need it, and I think, man, I want to pray that way. What, 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 if, what if, man, what would it look like? That ought to change the way we pray. God, I know, I know they don't know you. I know they're not following you. I know they don't, they don't love you, God, but I do. And you said I am blessed and favored and that I'm your child and I have direct access to you, so I'm coming to you on their behalf. God, do a miracle in their heart. God, do what only you can do. There's so much power. God has given us access to him, and we have power to use it to bless and to help and to intercede on other people's behalf. That's how I want to pray. Verse 18, then Moses said, now show me your glory. <laughs> now show me your glory. Moses successfully intercedes on behalf of the Israelites, and God says, yes, yes, my presence will remain with Israel all the way to the promised land. 
Okay, he also receives confirmation of, of the promise from God and affirmation of his own personal relationship. I'm pleased with you, Moses. I do know your name. You have received my favor. And yet still, Moses is not satisfied. He's not satisfied. That's not enough for him. He wanted more. He wanted more in his personal relationship with God. He says, show me your glory. Thank you, God. Now show me more. Give me more of you. More of you. Whatever Moses had experienced with God, now he wants more of it. Because the more we get to know God, the more we want to know him. That's, that's true. The more we get to know God, it's been true in my life. When I, when I slow down enough and unplug and really focus in on him and, and his presence and my relationship with him, and he reveals more of himself to me, I want to know him even more. I'm drawn even closer to him. I want more of him. Show me your glory, Lord, Moses says. Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Don't, don't miss this. Moses asked God to show him his glory, and God promised to show him his goodness. God's glory lies in his goodness. God's glory lies in his goodness. When Moses saw the glory of God, his first understanding uh, is that God is good. That God is good. God didn't reveal his justice to Moses. He didn't reveal his power to Moses. He didn't reveal his wrath against sin to, to Moses. Those are all very true aspects of God's nature. But when God chose to reveal himself to Moses, to show himself to him, what he displayed was his goodness. His goodness. Sometimes we think we have to balance God. Right, like in our minds, because that's the way our minds work. But scripture tells us that we, our minds can't even conceive the fullness of God and, and who he is. And we need to remember that because I feel like sometimes we act like, like we gotta, he falls into this yin and yang kind of framework of the universe in the sense that there's light and dark and there's good and there's evil and there's law and there's grace. But God himself is unbalanced in this. He is all good all the time, all the time. He's entirely good. Even his justice and his power and his wrath must be understood in the context of his goodness. It says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. In ancient cultures, uh, the name represented a person's character and nature. And so, so God in this statement is promising to reveal his character to Moses. It's not just a title. Show me your glory. God says, okay, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you, and, and, and I will give you deeper insight and understanding into who I am, into my character and my nature. I'll show you who I am because that's what you really need, Moses. That's what you need to know. Show me your glory. This is the kind of relationship I want to have with God. This is the kind of relationship I think God wants to have with us. I want to know God like Moses knew God. I want, to, I want to start praying the way that Moses prayed. And so just to kind of apply this for us personally, I'm going to give you four, four things, four ways I believe we can pray like Moses, okay? Number one, be bold. Be bold. Pray bold, confident, courageous prayers. Prayers that, first and foremost, cannot, will not, have no chance of coming true if not for God, okay? That, that type of boldness. But also, be bold in, in, in the way that we intercede for others. So Moses didn't take no for an answer. 
Listen, like that could sound like, oh, disrespectful to God. God is God. He's sovereign. He's going to do what he wants to do. It doesn't hurt to ask, right? My kids have that part. They ask for a million snacks a day. Like, oh, I'm either going to get it or not. I might as well ask, right? Like, come on, man. Be bold in your request to God. Be persistent. Be persistent, especially on behalf of other people interceding. It seems like that moves God's heart. Seems like that's, those are the kind of prayers that God loves to honor. Be bold in the way that you pray. Well, how can I be so bold with God? It's number two. Stand on your standing. Stand on your standing. You're standing with God, which is based on his word. Moses pointed God back to the things that he had already said about him. I'm just based on what you told me, God. Here's how I can talk to you. Okay, guess what? We have been bought and paid for by Jesus's finished work on the cross. When he came and lived a perfect, sinless life and then died a sinner's death on the cross, and was buried, and rose again three days later, okay, after taking the the pain and the suffering and, and, and bearing the weight of all of our sins, past, present, and future, okay? He defeated and conquered sin and death once and for all, rose to new life so that we can have new life, and so now we get the same access that Jesus has to God. There is no more separation. There is no more barrier. We have the same standing as Jesus who sits at the right hand of God, And so when I come to God with a request, boldly asking him to move based off something that that is in his word, that's in his nature, that I know means something to him, I don't have to be shy about it at all. I don't have to be worried about what he's going to think or, or, you know, if 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 I'm being respectful enough in the way that I'm approaching him about it. Hebrews 4, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence The NLT version says, boldly approach the throne of God so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because of our standing with God, we can be bold and confident and know that God has grace and mercy specifically for us whenever we need it. Number three, rest in your relationship. That's what that standing got you. You now have a personal relationship with God. Moses spoke to God face-to-face like a friend. Face-to-face like a friend. Man, I don't know how to pray. It's been a long time since I prayed. I don't know if I do it right. I don't know if I... No, you do. Face-to-face like a friend. Talk to him like you would talk to a best friend. Have an honest conversation with someone who loves you, who loves you more than anyone else can ever love you. Talk to him like that. In John chapter 15, Jesus says uh, to his disciples, he's talking to them about how he wants them to love each other. Okay, he's, he's preparing to... To, 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 to leave, and he's preparing them for, for what it's going to be like when he's gone. And he says, look, y'all, if you obey me, you're my friends. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And the difference between a servant and a friend is a servant obeys because they have to. A friend obeys because they want to. And Jesus is saying, hey, I call you friends. Everything that the Father has given me, everything that the Father has for me, everything that the Father has told me, I now give to you. You have that relationship with him. Rest in that. And lastly, prioritize his presence. Prioritize his, his presence. My one primary responsibility today is to spend quality time with God, right? That has to become true of all of us. But in that quality time, I need to prioritize the presence of God over everything else. That doesn't mean we can't ask for things. We know he's Jehovah Jireh. We know he's provider. Everything we have comes from him. 
You can ask him for things. We can pray for miracles. You can pray for healing. All that stuff is okay. There's nothing off limits when you come to God. But please keep the main thing, the main thing, his presence. Okay, prioritize him. The the promise maker over the promises. The provider over the things that he can provide. Seek his presence. And all that other stuff will fall into place. And even when you feel like it won't or it doesn't or it hasn't, Rest assured, he is the God who says, hey, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When I'm in the wilderness, Lord, when I'm in the valley, in the middle of the storm, I can rest assured because you are right there with me. I have your presence, which is greater than anything else I can have. Prioritize the presence of God in your life and in your prayer. Man. I think he'll start to move. I know he will. The same way he did for Moses and the Israelites. And so, be bold. Stand in your standing. Rest in your relationship and prioritize his presence. I think that's how we, we, we pray like Moses. I think that's the type of relationship God is, is calling us to, to step into. Uh, if you would, um, if everyone might stand with me, bow your heads, close your eyes, and we're going to pray out. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're so good. That, that when Moses said, show me your glory, you said, here's my goodness. Because your goodness, your, your glory lies in your goodness. God, thank you that that's who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for, for, for standing in the gap for us. <laughs> thank you for taking the punishment that I deserve so that I can step into the relationship with God that I was always meant to have. Thank you that I have direct access to him. God, that we can come boldly, confidently before your throne and receive grace and mercy in our time of need. God, thank you for that relationship. Lord, we want to prioritize your presence. God, in the wilderness, on the mountaintop, in every circumstance, God, thank you that you know our name, (laughs) that we are loved. That, that we are more than enough because you are more than enough, God. That all these things that you say, that you said to Moses, that you say to us in and through your word, God, that the relationship that Jesus purchased to us is real and it's for us, God. And it's, and it's God, it's, it's changing things. And so we come before you now just to, to, to intercede on behalf of those who need you. Lord, we pray for, for our community, God. We pray for, for, for uh, those in, in, in leadership, God, in our, in our community, in our country, God. I pray for every person in this room and for their families, God, for our loved ones. God, I lift up my brothers and sisters who, who, who don't know you and aren't living for you, God. I pray on their behalf, Lord, that you would grab hold of their hearts and, and turn them towards you, God, and that you would never let them go. God, we pray for our children that they would never know a day outside of your love and your grace, Lord, and a real-life relationship with you. If we give them nothing else, God, may it help us to pass that down. Father, we, we love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a great week. Come back next week. We're going to talk about how to, how to hear from God. <laughs>